1: The Telegraph. the Telegraph Podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact in association with the Telegraph. I'm Brian Moore and this week we have a special episode. Later you'll be hearing from when I sat down with former Lions and Scotland Lock Doddy Weir to discuss his life, his career his battle against motor neurone disease. But before we get into that, I'm joined in the studio by The Telegraph's rugby reporter, Ben Coles. Ben, how are you? Very well, Brian. How are you doing? Not too bad. Um, Up-and-coming internationals. The autumns, you can only read so much into them, but uh, what do you think should be England's realistic aim out of their set of fixtures?
3: I think they would be incredibly frustrated if they didn't win all three. And and by significant margins as well. It, it's almost a bit of a shame that they're facing Argentina and Australia again, having having had so many runs at them in the last few, uh, the last couple of years. Uh, and the, and the Samoa game represents a chance to experiment. It, it, it looks like a fixture that should be three wins, and and there is that disappointment that they're not facing the All Blacks, and possibly even South Africa as well. Now they're starting to to gradually turn things around under Alistair here So yeah, I, I, a clean sweep, anything but that would be would be hugely disappointing, I think.
2: I think from uh, my point of view, it isn't just that. It's the fact that we need to see what I thought was um, quite a flattening out of their form, actually. Um, From the rise that happened with Eddie Jones straight away, continued a bit. I thought they flattened out a bit. I thought Argentina away was significant for the younger Players, the more inexperienced caps, but at least the fixtures will all be a physical battle, and some of the younger players uh, will be able to show whether or not they can hack it at this particular time. I and mean, you know, undoubtedly, they will mature, so they'll get there in time. But uh, there's a must be a, a doubt as to whether they're they're ready to do that yet. Uh, we haven't heard, as of speaking, whether there've been injuries arising out of the forwards uh, set to between. Mm-hmm. England and Wales, I saw a bit of a video which seemed England to be on top, which is one of the things I have been wanting England to do. They've got five, well, we've got six British and Irish Lions to pick from their front five, whichever uh, way you want to uh, cut that. And I think it's about time that they got back to not necessarily hammering teams in the scrum, but certainly, you know, having an edge there.
3: Yeah, I think that's where the fact that Joe Marler and Carl Sinclair are not going to be around as much as, as Eddie Jones, I'm sure, would like, and that you're going to get your your Ellis Genges and your and your Harry Williams in there these these younger scrummagers. I, I think that's that's going to be interesting to see how they they cope with a more uh, a, a kind of a big opportunity at Twickenham. And also, I saw that same video kind of discreetly shot from behind the, the bars or through the bushes or whatever it was, and and it looked as though Chris Robshaw. Was, was getting some time at number 8, which is quite interesting, uh, to see if if he will feature there for England uh, over the next three games as well, whether he's going to be the backup to Nathan Hughes, as it were, and and, and Sam Simmons might not get the time that we, uh, we expected initially.
2: Well, Elliot Daly is back with England. If Eddie Jones is going to start experimenting and is going to try and find... A plan B or whatever to Mike Brown. We all know Mike Brown's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, these are the games, surely, where he's got to try him out there.
3: Yes, it, it would seem that way. I mean, the another argument to that is that Henry Slade has, has certainly earned a run is England's number thirteen, so therefore, given that Elliot Daly can play thirteen wing fullback, why not try him at fullback? Is another experiment, especially that Samoa game. I mean, that would seem the the prime opportunity to give Daly a run there, um, especially given given the fact that hasn't really happened yet. I mean, we know how versatile he is. The, the likes of Slade at thirteen, the, the likes of Daly, who gets a run on the wings, Johnny May... Johnny May should come back. Does Does Samisa Rocketaguni finally finally get a chance? That I expect not with, with Johnny May coming back to fitness by the sounds of things in time. Um, there are a lot of questions there. There's a lot of depth and a lot of players who who look like candidates to fill in those positions. But there's, I don't think there's a concrete answer yet at 13 given that Jonathan Joseph hasn't always kind of been Eddie Jones' number one option there, even though his form has been excellent. So, yeah, finding backups there and, and and kind of cementing certain starters, yeah, that's really important for this series. Well, Jones
2: has more options in these areas, but to me, the same problems or the same questions are still there from when he took the job, i.e. Settle Centre Partnership, Back 3 back row combinations. And whilst, as you say, there are a lot of players now who are on four more, have shown that in the past they can play there, this really, for me, is the last opportunity, ideally, where he wants to experiment because coming into the Six Nations, you know, just 18 months out, you would really, um, if Perfection was the council, want him to know St- well, not exactly starting 23, but pretty close to that.
3: Yeah, and I think that's where having won uh, 19 matches out of 20 kind of masks those those areas of development where, where England might not have the answers uh, so far because they've won so many matches that you think everything is perfect when, when obviously there is still a lot of work to be done. If you look at a team like Wales as a, as a counterbalance, the fact that they are completely remodeling their midfield partnership now, halfway through a world cup cycle is a far more drastic situation than where England are, where they have a 10, 12 settled. It's just getting the answer of 13, but you're right that there still hasn't been that's kind of solid 12, 13 partnership, uh, throughout Eddie Jones's tenure, as well as, as Farrell and Joseph looked during parts of 2017.
2: Well, let's go on to, uh Wales, because they have got a very difficult I mean to play in the top three, and that is a very intense schedule. I would if they were to win, well, possibly one out there, maybe two, then uh, I think that, that would be a good return. But Australia are first up for them, and they've got near uh, in the past. What do you think uh, Gatland will be looking for particularly?
3: Well, it's that idea of of transferring what the Lions did with a with a ten twelve and and trying to do that with Wales and, and now whether that's I mean Williams whether that's Rhys Patchell um, working with Dan Bigger, I think that system has to be tried for a start and I don't think if he tries it for one game and, uh, and then panics and, and reverts back to type I think there will be there will be plenty of criticism because this is what people have been wanting from Wales for a long time to see them kind of ditch the crash ball route one type of play that that has dominated Wales under Warren Gatland. So that has to be tried. And, and, and likewise, there has to be a, a bit of boldness with selection with guys like Steph Evans, the Scarlet's winger who, who scored tries for fun over the last two years. If he doesn't get a chance now, kind of partnering Liam, with Liam Williams out on the other wing, then it's hard to understand when his his chance really comes. So there's got to be the selections have been made to suggest that I play with more width. I think we now have to actually see it and, and see some tries off the back of it too. I
2: suppose one of the difficulties for Gatland is that the well certainly the European fixtures and to ex- certain extent the Pro 12 hasn't really given him an inkling of who is really on sparkling form because apart from the Scarlets, you know the rest of the the Welsh regions have not done that well no one's really played particularly well um, in the past they've been able to overcome that on a national basis but as a pointer to who uh, you know is battering down the door and demanding they be picked it's of limited use isn't it
3: Absolutely, I mean the the Ospreys in particular they have been the the standard bearers for Welsh rugby for so long um, and, and the prominent region as it were and the fact that their form has been, been so dire at the start of the season across all competitions and and the fact that you've got your Dan Biggers your Alan Wynne-Jones or Justin Tipperich is playing regularly as well that is a problem and, and I wonder, it, like you say if there will be a slight hangover from that Pro 14 Champions Cup kind of form and how easy that is to, to shed off the positive is that the Scarlets have been so fantastic and they were last season on the run, on the run to being champions and, and that has kind of continued this season. Uh, the, there was a bit of a wobble at home to Bath and they only weren't outstanding against Treviso last weekend either, but they are they are still setting the standard. So uh, the fact that the Scarlets have played so well and have played with that kind of width that I'm sure Wales won, that must be a positive for Gatland and something he can point at.
2: Mm. Well, Scotland are playing two of the uh, big Southern Hemisphere 3, New Zealand uh, and Australia. And when you just look at the... I'm just reading a list of injuries here. unavailabilities: Fraser Brown, Alice Dickinson, Alan Dell, Gordon Reed, Craig Laidlaw, Richard Grace, or Maitland. And it goes on and on. And, of course, John Hardy, impending um, internal investigation, suspended. Do they have anywhere near the depth to carry that? I, I, I sincerely doubt whether they have the depth to... To carry those certainly those second two fixtures Samoa will be more straightforward but a physical challenge um, but I suppose we will find out whether the Scottish depth and and the Glasgow's form especially which would be helpful you know can stand up to what is. Well, I think undoubtedly a, a more difficult set of fixtures than England's.
3: Yeah, it's a worry. Losing Fraser Brown is is bad enough. Um, losing Ross Ford on top of that, two of your Jordan, top hookers, yeah. Is, yeah. is is really tough. Um, especially given Ross Ford's experience, the fact that he's I think he's out for four months. Um, uh, losing those two players is a test. I think Scotland as a whole had, had such a positive kind of summer with the win in Australia that there will still be a feel good factor whatever happens in this november and that Gregor Townsend isn't really going to be judged until the six nations when he will be expected to to match the 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 positive campaign the england result aside obviously um is there the depth the gut reaction is no purely because of the fact that it's only Glasgow and Edinburgh. That being said, Glasgow and Edinburgh have been playing very well. I mean, Edinburgh hammered the Ospreys last Friday, let's be honest. And I think there are signs there that Scottish rugby is still in good health, even if those injuries have crept up quite badly and just had a terrible time, really, particularly particularly in the tight five. Um, and, and John Hardy will be missed as well, Missed as well, whatever the circumstances are there. He, he's been such a positive uh Kind of addition to the setup.
2: Well, Ireland, South Africa, then Fiji, then Argentina. What do we? What do you make of South Africa? Uh, seemingly much improved. Is that uh, correct? Are we right to think that they are on the way back?
3: I think there are signs, especially up front, that the, the bit, a beginning of a spine is starting to take place. And that comes down to two players in particular. That's Malcolm Marks at Hooker and it's Eben Ezebeth at Locke. I think the f- when they played New Zealand and Cape Town the other week, uh, those two players were really phenomenal. Marks especially has kind of emerged as a, a new Bismarck duplice with the way he, way he tackles, the way he carries, the, the turnovers he makes. So the positives are there up front with those two players. And, the, and then when you add in um, Sia Khaleesi in the back row, who's had a phenomenal year in Super Rugby, the signs are that the pack is, is getting its old self back. I think the problem for South Africa is that there is still a bit of mistrust there regarding Elton Yantis at 10 and whether he is actually the the, the real fly half to, to carry this team forward because he's so inconsistent. When he's playing well for the Lions and Super Rugby, as, as we've seen them do, making the final the last two years, he's phenomenal and he's one of the best attacking 10s on the planet, really. The problem is, is he able to keep that going game by game? And in Test Rugby, that gets exposed more than anywhere else and the alternatives are quite thin Andre Pollard's only just coming back from a long layoff and behind him you're kind of searching for an answer at fly half Robert Dupree who's just won the Curry Cup with Western Province maybe he might be the long term answer I think as soon as South Africa can settle on a consistent fly half who can not only create tries and and do all the spectacular stuff like Yantis does but actually control a test control a game in the wet with authority which he has done in patches but not enough then we'll be able to say that they're they're on the way back. But but look, it's a lot better than last year when they were coming up here and losing to Italy and and, and everything was a bit of a disaster.
2: All that said, though, I mean, Ireland have pretensions and the quality and have shown with the squad and some depth in most positions. They should be looking to take a clean sweep as well, shouldn't they?
3: Yeah, I I think it's a really interesting series for Ireland, uh, mainly because of the selections they've made, um, particularly in the backs with Bundy Arke coming into the score for the first time, do you reunite that that Connor centre pairing that did so well in the Pro, well, the Pro 12 as it was, um, and also on the wings, uh, leaving out guys like Andrew Trimble and Tommy Bowe, kind of kind of signals are changing at the guard. Jacob Stockdale has been phenomenal for Ulster. Will Joe Schmidt be brave enough to start someone like Stockdale, maybe someone like Adam Byrne of Leinster, and and give Ireland a bit of a shake-up in the backs, which he has to do now that Simon Zebo is no longer in the squad? I still feel as though that's a bit of a cloud hanging over the setup, the way that the Zebo has kind of been ousted. Um, well, it was three days after it was announced he was leaving Munster, he didn't make the squad. That's going to be interesting. And and in the forwards as well, you, you're, you're going to be looking for big performances in the back row and, and signs of succession to, to your Jamie Heaslips and so on.
2: And uh, lastly, let's just look at the French. Uh, got New Zealand twice, South Africa, then Japan. Um, they talk about player welfare, <laughs> and then you have yeah. them playing on a Saturday, followed by a fixture on the Tuesday. I doesn't make any sense to me at all. You know, I it might, might test squad depth, but... I if you're going to get the most out of fixtures against the best in the world why not arrange it you know the at least the week after I I simply don't understand that.
3: Yeah, I was I was down in Leon the other week um and and they were and naturally as as you would be very excited to have the All Blacks come into town um if not slightly confused that the event was taking place on a Tuesday night. Um I think It doesn't speak very well for player welfare to have two games against the all Blacks in three days. Obviously, they're going to be drastically different squads, which diminishes the the purpose of having a second test in the first place because you're going to to have two wildly um, different teams out Did they
2: give you an explanation
3: as to why this happened? Well, it it wasn't so much the people in Lyon who, I mean, the people in Lyon have put their hands up to to have a game, but it's all the FFRs organising the the chance to get an extra test in there, an extra game against the All Blacks. Uh, Bernard Laporte, uh, very unhelpfully to Guy in the past said that he wants three wins out of four, which means you have to win one of your games against the All Blacks which is not which is going to be tough whether you're facing the first string All Blacks or the second string All Blacks I mean that's not easy right it's not, not about easy trash, isn't it yeah, well it does seem that way I mean I mean, there's no there's no point in dressing it up as anything else it, it's obviously great for for somewhere like Leon with a brand new football stadium from year 2016 to host to host a game with the All Blacks um, but at the same time it, it's hard to see how France won't necessarily benefit from playing two different New Zealand teams that close together, but and, and France, to be honest, have their own their own player issues to worry about because they're now without their number one fly half for most of the season. And Camilo Lopez, who's who's going to be out for I think about five months, we might be seeing um, uh, the young guy from Toulon, Anthony Belleu, getting a run. I mean, he's only twenty one. It's his first full season of, of French rugby and two years out from the World Cup you're going to have a brand new fly half I mean that shows not only that French rugby has struggled to, to find in-form players at 10 I mean Francois Trandouk hasn't been in top form for years uh, let lack be of solutions.
2: the French have had problems at 10 for about four decades
3: <laughs> well yeah yeah that's also very true because
2: they just play anyone you know seemingly and swap with nines and it's a very bizarre situation to me and uh, I've always thought that's one of the things that has held them back when They've had a relatively settled uh, half-back partnership. They've performed much better, and oh, su- surprise, surprise! Uh, with specialists there, um, do we? I mean, am I right to think that the performances from their top clubs in the uh, European uh, cups, albeit that they still have a heavy international foreign presence, show that at club level, and they started to do this at international level a bit. They seem to have some signs of trying to throw off a sclerotic, terrible brand of rugby that they've played for, you know, four or five years.
3: Yeah, I think so. I think at the heart of that is probably uh, the performances of La Rochelle, specifically over the last couple of seasons. Uh, their, their run to, to first place in, in the league uh, last season was, came out of nowhere frankly, and they did it playing a style of rugby that was a, a mix of, of young, young French backs uh, mixed with uh, a couple of quality for genes, uh, and obviously Victor Vito, who, who went on to be top 14 player of the season. And, and they have set the tone that other teams, I think, have now woken up to and have, have realised and are now starting to play with a bit more width. Y- yes, there are f- still far too many foreigners in, in the top 14 clubs and there is a real mission to cut that down.
2: Ironically, from Bern Laporte, who, when he was a a club man, said to the the French Federation, I don't care what you say, actually, frankly, uh, poetry turned gamekeeper, but not not as big as a poetry turned gamekeeper in terms of Wade Dooley being a sighting officer, but um, on that. Anyway, Ben, we won't have to wait long to see what happens, and uh, there are some good-looking fixtures there, and if the... Home nations can start well, and this has always been a problem for them. They can do it in England as well. If they can start well, uh, who knows? I'm looking forward to it, I'm sure you are.
3: Yeah, very much so. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how uh, how they get on first up. I, I know that Japan struggled against Australia last weekend because they hadn't had a game, and Australia had come off the rugby championship. So, yes, if that aff- affects the other home nations, it, it could be could be a tough start. But but at, at the same time, th- coming back to England, when I look at how Argentina have done in the rugby championship, their their problems in defence and discipline, uh, it should be a, a relatively straightforward outing for England, I think.
2: Time now to hear my conversation from when I met up with Doddy Weir in central London. Doddy is in the middle of a huge fundraising tour and this interview was done on Monday afternoon before the dinner, later in the evening at Battersea Park. George Doddy Weir. I I never thought about this, but why Doddy? Well, a very easy answer.
0: Doddy shot for George in Scotland. Is it? That is the truth. I was called uh, after my... Uh, grandfather, who's George Wilson Weir, and actually, the person sitting behind us here listening in is my mother. But yeah, that's the reason behind it up in the north, body shop for George.
2: You've got a school in Edinburgh, Stuart's Melville, but then you go to Agricultural College.
0: Yeah. Asking the, the combination of that well, Yes. I was at the local primary school, uh, Fountain Hall Primary, which uh, was. The good old days, there were 25 people in the school from Primaries 1 to primary 7. So it wasn't the biggest in the world. Uh, I come from a farming background, and with that, all the rest of the local farmers sent their kids in the good old days, I think, when farming was going quite well. I think one bullock was the same as the, the, the fees for the year. So they've amassed a lot more. I think you need 20 or 30 bullocks now to send people to private schools. So I went to Daniel Stewart's and Melville College in Edinburgh. Um, from primary six to the end of the year, and then after that always really wanted to be a farmer. So whether Dad's and Mum's money were spent wisely, i we had to go and follow the tradition in farming. So a four-year course in farming, which was absolutely exceptional.
2: Did it involve any studying, or did you just drink? No, you...
0: <laughs> I think the more you drank, the better qualification you got. <laughs> I think that's an old university, but yeah, certainly it was quite a social environment, and really taught you how to feed cows and sheep and drive the odd tractor but uh, sociability was was certainly a major part and we would recommend for people to go to to university or
2: college for, for that reason and the reason to learn as well. Seeing you a giant of a man, it's difficult to picture the schoolboy, doddy. What were you like as a schoolboy? Well, you should know, because standing
0: next to you, you make me feel very tall. <laughs> that's, that's one of these things, but only Because we were involved in an early age, playing against each other. Uh, I see you've got your notes there about Mr Dooley. Now, you used to play against him uh, quite a long number of years ago. got the first game for Scotland on 10th November 1990, and I was but 13 stone. So really, I didn't mature till the later life, so I was a skinny laddie, a wee schoolboy for many a year. And, uh,
2: and so you're a I'm, horse rider?
0: Yeah, difficult to, to believe or understand then. Shire horses or? Well, uh, maybe should have been in later life, certainly I didn't, but in the, in the junior life, it was quite, horses were a big part of my life. I loved and really enjoyed doing the horses possibly if I can say a bit more than the rugby. Did so you a bit, did you do the events? Yeah I did, yeah. Did, did the one you, day do events. You a hunter? Yes, uh, follow the hunt, still a little bit do as well when I have got a, a thicker set horse now than I did quite a while ago, but do follow that. The pony club had an issue when I was younger because I used to knock the fences down because my legs were so long or quite skinny. So but we competed against the likes of Princess Anne, Blythe, Tatey and Stark who are masters in the renting in the old days. Fortunately, there at one end of the winning side, I was at the, the far end, but thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. You say it. you enjoyed it a bit more than rugby? I did, something special about riding a horse going over some of these big cross-country jumps. Yeah. And it probably helped me in the rugby in a lot of ways. It might sound bizarre, but uh, with your core strength on the horse, you've got to have a bit of confidence in what you're doing, but also you've got to try and learn your dressage test and your, and your ways of show jumping. And then on the other side, to try and get round the course quicker. So you've got to try and think ahead. And with that, I think it maybe set me up a little bit for the rugby and where I am now. Do you remember
2: where you were when you were told you were gonna play for Scotland the first time, your first cap?
0: Struggle, I don't know if it's a thing of age. Struggle even to remember what I was doing yesterday, but the date I do remember, and we mentioned before, is the 10th of November, 1990. There are certain dates in your life that you remember, and that was when I got my first cap. Do you remember how you felt in the morning? Very emotional, very nervous, because I always put myself under a bit of pressure. When you go out there, you're going to let the family and friends down who know you. So it kind of made me play a little bit. And I remember meeting Princess Anne that day, and I was just a kind of gibbering wreck. She asked me a little question, I think, is how you feel? And I couldn't answer it, because just mind totally different, in a different environment. Karen, you had breakfast this morning or something like that, I said stupidly. So she says, look, I'll leave you and let you come with your game. <laughs> but it was a very proud moment for not only myself, but family as well. Where did
2: your drive come from?
0: I think the, the drive in the borders in the younger days came from I was involved with Melrose. And with Melrose, Colts, with a lot of other great rugby players at the same time, Craig Chalmers, Brian Redpath, Carl Hogg, Graham Scheel, Craig Redpath, to name but a few, were all involved in a great Melrose team. So I think the drive... Was there, and we came from the borders who were were, were great with the, the world of rugby, but also being involved with Stu Mel's school, I was on the ladder, and I think once you got on this ladder effect, and I do believe it maybe it's, it's drastically missed in today's game. I was in, played for the age groups of Melrose, played for the school, played for Scotland schoolboys, and that's what gave me the drive because I was involved in the Scotland schoolboys and once you're up there you have an appetite to be involved even more so we got a, a tour to New Zealand which was great didn't go too well in the first game I must admit because I was told if I played like that I would be on the plane home So, but once you're in the ladder effect it's, it, it takes you through and with that I've had one of the most amazing rugby careers apart from playing you guys a number of times and not winning any
2: How important is, it, is your nationality to you?
0: I think it's, it's, it's really important, really proud to be where I come from, proud to the, the, the team that I think I was involved with, didn't go to play for too many teams, I had to play for the teams that I had a, an association with or affiliation with, so when you see me tartened up to the max, I think that kind of answers the question of how passion. I also drink a lot of iron brew and haggis, so I'll probably eat a lot of haggis, I'll probably go over the board a little bit but yeah I think it is very important to be involved in the game and be proud for who you're playing for
2: what would you say because uh, this is a very difficult question if you're English but um, what do you think the, the core Scottish values are then
0: well I, I think wherever you go I think that it, it's the same values that one would imagine although you might be able to tell me it's just your passion and pride for where you're at. you're proud to be Scottish Same as you
2: probably are with England. Were you in or out in the referendum?
0: (laughs) 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 Uh, Delighted to be Scots, but even better be united was was my motto. Uh, And it's the same in all all areas that very passionately... How
2: did that go down? Because it was a split, uh, it was a very contentious issue.
0: Yeah, it it is and it still is. To be honest, I don't look too far into the politics, but certainly proud to be Scots. We've got a fantastic name for all that we do. So the whisky, the tourism, the the meat industry, the the oil in some ways, education and what have you. So we possibly have a best of all worlds, but we need to be united with the UK for it all to work.
2: Now, your Scottish career, unfortunately for you, you didn't play in the 1990 Grand Slam game because you were replaced by that super athlete, Damien Cronin. Um, But... Have you seen Damon Cronin
0: lately? He's Who would have known after all the years of playing rugby what a, what a rugby player he could have been? He's <laughs> trimmed down to
2: 15 or 16 stones. I know, it's Canada. very strange, isn't it? It's very odd. Of all the games you played him, give us a couple that stand out. Well, just uh, on the
0: 1998, that was, that was a special one. And I think where I got my first cap, if I remember, right? Damon Cronin got injured. He was the one with the jersey. He got injured, so you've got to make... Most of your opportunities, and, and thanks to him, got in and, and played a 10 years maybe international. So, with that, three World Cups and um, fantastic to be involved in them. Semi final in '91 against England. Were you involved in that one? I was, I remember that one. Sure yeah, anyway, well done to you guys. So, getting to the final, and <laughs> um, so again, being in, at that level was, was quite special. And uh, '95, again, World Cup was, was pretty special for myself because. We had a great game against France, I think it could have been in the quarters, it could have been anywhere, but played against New Zealand and scored two tries in one match in that, so that was quite, quite good for myself, remember that, and again on the back of that it was a sad time because that was Gavin Henson's last game and so special for different reasons.
2: Was that the game when called it butted Sean Fitzpatrick? Did,
0: did he not do that? In the I don't know if he was still around then, he might have done something in 91 or... It might two. be 91, no, it would yeah.
2: be, be
0: 91. But I think he didn't mean it. <laughs>
2: um. Well, talking about acts of uh, random violence, um, you managed to get elbowed by uh, Wade Dooley and punched by Martin Johnson. What was it about you that provoked such an extreme reaction? And what, after all, are quite mild-mannered men usually? Do you think
0: that? And How could you even say that with a nearly straight face? You know them better than all. Um, I think it was a part of the game wasn't it? The frustration which is quite good when you look back this little skinny lad trying to, trying to come onto the, the team and these are big boys, big names uh, trying to take their jersey sort of thing in a way up against but it was a wonderful time it was a, a wonderful time when you're playing against these boys and not acts of violence but there was a wee bit toughness about the game and I think the game's changed quite a lot now but uh, you can't do that and I, how
2: much and because and, and you were the biggest yeah. thug of them all though yes but I never got caught so it doesn't matter and because um, you were, main, and there was no you were the officers. main focus <laughs> of, of
0: motivation there's many a changing room that your jersey would be on the floor before we went out just to start trying to oh, dear, called cold
2: and standing punches <laughs> <laughs> what about um, what about the Lions? How special was that?
0: I think everyone involved in Lions tour will say it's it's ultimately very special. Yeah, and it's the, the Olympics of the rugby environment. It happens once every four years, special. There's a lot of players who have been around the game and are fantastic within the game that maybe don't pull that jersey on and that's how special and unique it is. And, I was involved in 93, got a letter to say I was a standby replacement, so it was a good time to do that, but then again, a disappointment not to go on the tour, so when it came in in 97, it was quite a wonderful experience to, to be selected on such a, a famous rugby team. But don't get me wrong, it, it, it the important thing as well is obviously to focus on club, country, and then this was like maybe the, the, the cream in the pie, as they say, because you've got to do well in these other games to to want the jersey.
2: You played in the pro era for Newcastle. Newcastle were successful um, around that time. Did you enjoy the pro era? Yeah. Why? I did in a way, because we had such a
0: wonderful time at Newcastle. Um, So John Hall and Rob Andrew had a fantastic vision. They were maybe first on the scene and selected 15 or 16 rugby players with, with capped experience so it was a joy playing in that team which was so strong because um, you just needed to concentrate on your own occupation and other teams that might not be the case. So it was a wonderful time to start off being a professional, be able to train in daylight, which is the first time we could ever afford to do that. And, and that continued for a number of years, but in the later stages when I was involved with Borders, we were training five times a day. And no, I did not enjoy that time, and that's why I kind of gave up, because I couldn't see the... Why? The well, good question. I think the question is, as people think when you go professional, you should be training like a professional, go from nine to five every day. We train five times, which I just think was... And it kind of... That's probably where it starts, where the game is nowadays. The intensive overcoached coached in, in the rugby, I think, has come into the game and started in the... Early maybe 2000s, 2004, when I
2: got bored and eventually said, that's it. If you could only have one career, the amateur or the pro, which would we you have? Well, the, the
0: enjoyment on the amateur was outstanding. Um, it was a good time. It's where we're the stories, it's where we've met a lot of people, like a good self, both on and off the field. It's where friends are, are made of. Although you you have this ding-dong as with the people that you've mentioned, but they're they're good friends. Even you still have friends in amateur day, which is
2: quite hard to. believe. <laughs> well, the o- only one. Um, yeah. Um, how would you describe yourself? Because a lot of people have said to me that you've always been a joker. Is that? I think. I think I, I,
0: the joker is one part of it, but not as big a joker as maybe some people in the team. But I, I'm here to enjoy oneself. Uh, Kim. From the early doors do what you can do today, worry about tomorrow when it comes, it doesn't come for a very good time and, and, and somebody said this to me in the early 90s when I was straight into the Scottish, Scottish team, I've taken that on board and any opportunity to do something whether it's training whether it's bungee jumping, whether it's going out sociably, whether it's shooting kangaroos or things like that which um, we did in Australia just get on and, and get it done and uh, have a fantastic experience and a fantastic journey and on, on the back of that has been good fun.
2: Have your values changed as you got older?
0: I don't know if they do, well, I, think, I think the value from day one is just enjoy where you are and, and have a smile and I think looking back at all occasions in my rugby career it's always been a smile, always try to be polite, try to enjoy things. An example, go to a party, never ever have I had a bad party because either I might have been the centre focus to make everyone have a good party, never had a bad time. And one of these days, the focus will be getting a drink of you, which would really ultimately make my day.
2: Well, you might be waiting a while, but uh, (laughs) but there you go. (laughs) Um, I don't want to dwell on this, but do you remember what you felt when you were given the diagnosis?
0: Yeah, I think, I think going back there, it was, it was, it's in a kind of unsurreal way. All through my rugby career, I've always thought the worst. So I always thought I was going to get dropped. So when you get dropped, you expect it. But when you get selected, it's quite a, a good time to continue in the team. Now, it was about a year ago when we got the official diagnosis, my good lady and I, from the professor. But it, ironically, you go through a lot of tests in MND. That they, they show that you haven't got other things before. They say you've got MND. There's not one specific test to say that you've got this disease. So, on the back of that, we went through brain scans, which, funny enough, like yourself, they would struggle to find anything. You know, you've been there, we've both been there together. Um, Lumber punctures, you go through shock therapy, ultimate sort of blood test to, they all come back here. So, when the professor said that this is what you got, I, I just, like what we're doing just now, shrug the shoulders and say, like, right, let's get on with it. Did you understand what it meant? I did, yes, because just a number of years prior to that, I met up with Yusuf Andabessi and he's, he's propelled the work, I think, and and the awareness of MND and uh, hopefully I'll continue sort of his, his legacy and also there's another boy in Scotland who was Ewan Macdonald. Uh, he came to the boxes at Murrayfield and, and that's what allowed me to understand of where we might end up in, unless we get a bit of help. Are you scared? And, uh, not, at, uh, not at the moment, no. Um gone through a lot of meetings with these guys. Not used, to, unfortunately, because he's no longer here, but Ewan McDonald, who can only communicate through his eyes. Uh, and I think I'm not scared at the moment because I'm still able to do a lot of things, although I can feel it setting on within my hands, and certainly the power within the hands and shoulders of drastically reduced, a lot of people will say I didn't have much power anyway, which is very true, but on the, on the back of that it's reduced. But what I do in, in a way is, and it's been through all my rugby career, and career so far, it's a card I've been given. This is what I've got to deal with. So let's get up and let's do the best I can and, and have a good time with that. And that's where we are just now.
2: What sort of considerations did you take into account in Killing people. We had a kind of planned attack.
0: A uh, good lady I knew in December, so we kept it quiet till everyone, all the family, or close family till January. Didn't want to ruin anyone's Christmas for, for our family reasons. So kept it in the back of the mind that people didn't really know or wouldn't know. And, and, and in a way, I think maybe even at the moment, people are difficult to tell unless they know me and see how I carry a pint or have to help and that sort of. Do buttons up is very tricky in, in areas like that. But then we try and protect my kids as well because they had exams, and it's important to try and look after the future because they're quite vulnerable. They're 16, 15, and 13 and still are. So, so with that, we decided to tell the world's press when we went down to the British Lines, Irish Lines. And the reason why we went that as well is because I'd like to have taken them in four years' time to South Africa. Mm-hmm. So on the back of that, we thought we'll bring it forward in case that's not possible.
2: Who was the most difficult to tell?
0: Um, the family been brilliant. I, I, I think is, is, if it's any, it's quite a good question in a way because I, I've not found it too hard to tell people. I found it quite tricky for the reaction that we've received. We've had the most amazing reaction from the rugby public they've just been unbelievable and that's what's would stung me quite a lot especially yeah. good close friends that knew and phoned me so we're lucky that we we told everyone in june the sim card wasn't in my phone in new zealand when i came back it's just gone massive and speaking to close friends in the car has been not telling but the discussion of what may happen in the future has been quite tricky and taking well, on people be
2: nice well, I wanted to ask you about that because, you know, I read several things, you know, and the, the comments you made, don't feel sorry for me. Um, the interview, Chris Foy, we said, make sure you're not nice to me. I find it difficult when people are kind. Why?
0: Yeah, just not used to it. Just, just I think, when people are kind to you, it, it just brings back of what may be and maybe not being used to that sort of thing, being uh, difficult to explain. But on that front, people are a very conscious look at people in the eye and then when they're that I understand what's going on and that maybe when it hits or what's happening and, and that part just feel difficult to to comprehend what's happening when that when that does happen and tonight will be a very tricky environment because we're here to for a dinner some 1300 people and, and, and focus on oneself and as lovely it is and Great work to Kenny and his Kenny Logan and his team. He's been a great since he's known, been in touch. And kind of really Have you been
2: it. surprised by the extremity of the reaction? Yeah.
0: Why? Yeah, just because you never expect. I come from a, a little village of maybe 15 people, in, and and as you've maybe said in, in the past, I'm a fashion disaster as well with my tartan suits, and you don't you don't expect the the humble support that we've had from all around the world rugby public and just very kind people, every single person has said, look, I want to help, I want to try and support, which is, which is always quite hard to, to take on board because you never really expect that.
2: Well, if it's any uh, of any import at all, <coughs> I would just say this, um, if the roles were reversed, not necessarily me, but someone else who was a contemporary, would you help? Well, most, yeah then why surprise? you because yeah, I
0: think it's, it's well that's it but it, you, that's a fantastic way of looking around but I think that's the rugby public you just feel that you are not helpless but it's, you're on the end of some, some lovely favours and yes and it's sometimes quite difficult to do and I've got a fantastic trust behind me who've been phenomenal in the work that they've, they've done and Finlay Calder's involved you've got Scott Hastings Gary Armstrong John Jeffrey, Joel Douglas my good lady Kathy Weir and Stuart Weir, and they've been saying exactly like what you've been saying. The advice has been just go on and enjoy it. And I think tonight for an examiner, I got in the mind that maybe it's quite fortunate what's happened. I may be quite lucky and I am quite lucky to, to know that, look, there is an issue. So let's go out and I've got time to, to say thank you and spend a lot of good time with a lot of good friends and, and party and have a good time to say, to say thank you and with any luck with their help and awareness, I could be here to know you for many
2: a year. And the foundation that's been started, tell me about that.
0: Yeah, the foundation, again, with the trust, there's two areas. One was the trust that was sent up because it's quite easy and quick to do. And that's to help my good lady and family and, and others, um, which has gone extremely well, but now just clear just the other, the other day. Adelshaw and Goddard, who are lawyers, have been exceptional. They've, they've done a lot of hard work behind us in Edinburgh. And with them, they, they brought in a foundation, which is a charitable side of things. And that's basically set up to, to help future research and others. So that's a charitable side that's got approval of charities, so it's a lot of benefits there. So that's just been granted last week, so with that, it's quite exciting times ahead to actually generate the awareness, but also generate a bit of money, because at the moment, there's there's... It's a terminal illness, as, as you, you may know, and with that, there's one drug available uh, on the market and that came out
2: 22 years ago, which I just think is... Well, the unfortunate thing is, although the disease is terminal, the number of people get it, don't make it com- doesn't make it commercially viable to stick loads of money into R&D, which is... You know, if, if, if you happen to be one of those... But does that make it right? No, it doesn't make it right. No, and that's the thing that we need to try and
0: pressure on, the people who can make a difference. And and out there, a lot of people want to do that, but they're limited with exactly what you are saying, the numbers. And there's a lot of good people trying things, so we're there to try and help them, because a, a fix on MND might have a, a fix on other neurological issues, and that's really what we're going to try and strive to do. So people who have it, can. Possibly it could be slowed down, it could be fixed. Who knows what's out there? Because it's a horrendous, debilitating disease that no one should have to go through. And and with any luck we can get awareness and I don't need to do that. And that's my ultimate goal and that's my ultimate positive attitude. And that's what I got out with speaking to Jus van der Besheizen's team. To say the best drug you can do is keep, keep thinking positively. And with the people behind me, that's certainly a focus.
2: What would, you le- what would you like your legacy to be?
0: Be happy. And have no regrets.
2: Will you be able to sustain that, do you
0: think? Well, if it's any consolation, I've never been quite so happy. It seems a bit bizarre because
2: we've got a lot of great friends that are doing a lot of good things. Often when people get into trouble, you find out who your friends are. Have they been the same people you thought would be there? Uh,
0: that, no. It's difficult to explain the support. Um, all through the whole rugby public business ideas, it's phenomenal. I I can't reiterate, every single person that we've spoken to have said we'll support you. And and people that you just never think would. Scottish farmers, what's your thought on
2: them? Well, um, I wouldn't imagine usually you'd put them in the most generous category, but... uh, uh... (laughs) <laughs> See, a,
0: a lovely guy called Charles sold a, sold a sheep for me. He was farm sale, one guinea. It. it made five thousand pounds. Three or four farmers put the sheep back in, so they would pay six, seven hundred pounds. They didn't want it, they put it back in another farmer didn't. And yesterday, just an example in the local borders, and it's widespread what people are doing for us. They had a tractor rally, of which two hundred local tractors came out and people who were maybe driving around the border roads would have not been too happy with it. And and a local farmer also put an old tractor up for sale, which again, phenomenally didn't have to do, and did, and and raised- Did you find that
2: exciting, 200 tractors?
0: I did, yeah. Especially John Deere's, I'm I'm just vexed that I missed it. You can see my smile with tractors and big tractors.
2: I must admit, it's rather rather lost on me,
0: but but I'll take your word for that one. Yeah. But that's just showing, that That, that. and then, then uh, lovely ladies or somebody who's sending five pound in to the trust is just phenomenal, the support, honestly, it's just, it's heart wrenching and it's very difficult to explain because it, all through my rugby, people being nice, just not, it's not part of my game, I like to help people instead of you getting helped and that's the bit I need to try and get over.
2: Have you never thought it might be a reflection on because people think you're a good bloke?
0: well that's what the trust are saying but it's still very difficult to take I just, yes I think that's what the story is but sometimes when it's hard to, to believe you just have to get on with it and maybe start believing it and the support's been unbelievable
2: What impact has it had on the family? I
0: think if anything it's probably made us maybe grow a wee, a wee bit closer and in a way things have not been that easy well because my Mother's had a bit of cancer as well, so things have been double edged. But both still ducking and diamonds, both still running. I think they're a lot closer now because family are down here uh, in the city, and we're probably doing a lot more family things at the moment. And this is where I think the card I've been given is quite a good one because I've got a chance to, to see things, do things. Uh, while I can and again that's why I went to New Zealand, that's why I brought the family down here to spend time with each other. Uh, We're having some great memories and times as well, Go to the Babas with with friends and I think with that there's certainly a closer bond but ultimately I think behind the scenes it cannot be too easy for them knowing what the bigger picture uh, in the long term might be because no one wants to see their family in a wee bit of a, a tricky situation and, and, Fingers crossed we can do enough work for that not to happen, but and ultimately it's happened to everyone so far who, who can't move their limbs, can't eat, can't speak, can't walk, can't talk, um, is, is
2: the long-term process for the and We just don't want that to happen. One of the things that I've found about about parenting is you you want to... Do you find yourself trying to give them the uh, the guidance that otherwise might come later now because...
0: No, no. I understand where you come from, but this is what, what, what spins me a wee bit difficult to try and keep going. So we're here to try and protect our family, try and look after them exactly what you see. I would love to, to see them with our girlfriends, love to see them drive the car, love to see them maybe university. And that's what, in a way, is keeping me going and focused because we talked about dreams and journey. I've had one of the most amazing times in the game of rugby over the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years and still enjoying the benefits from where we were. And, and with that, like to see it through with the kids. And uh, they're at a difficult age, um, but if we can get a pleasing thank you out of them, then and, and that's my... They've got to be kids and enjoy themselves now, but also, if I can say, have experiences and memories with that hopefully will, will go a long way. Because as I say, we went to New Zealand and, that, and the boy said, an older fella said, we said, how oh, are you doing here? I've got my five kids. And he said, oh, it must cost you a fortune. And it did, but it cost us one thing. But he said, my, my parents, my dad didn't bring me here. So when you see that, and you bring that into your own family, you feel quite humbled, mate. So give them time and memories. And hopefully, they continue, because ultimately, we like to find a little cure for this, this issue. But if we don't, we're going out with a fight and a battle and a good time. Are you religious? Not particularly, but I do, not, not in a way, I do think certain things are put in the earth to, 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 for a reason and the reason I say that is because uh, I had a bad car accident maybe 20, 20 odd years ago and him upstairs could have taken me away there because every panel was dented, the roof was dented, and my door came flying off because we tipped my discovery upside down, but I was fine. I walked away. And I keep thinking him upstairs didn't need a rugby player at that stage. Uh, My brother-in-law, age 54, died three years ago. He was a farmer, become a very good shepherd with sheep. And I think him upstairs says, right, we want a shepherd. So down he came and took him up. And I think here at the moment, he's maybe saying, right, we need somebody to try and give this MND a fix and a fight. So I I have a look and say, it's
2: my card. Deal with it. Um, the trust, uh, I understand, is going well, there's lots of events going on. Tell us about a few of them and how people can get behind you and help.
0: Yeah, uh, the support again has been unbelievable. Uh, there's a, there's a web page I think, which is the easiest way. Doddy Weir Weir with a Five, do you like that? Uh, Doddy Weir Weirs with a Five Trust. Uh, there's a lot of details and there. there's a lot of events throughout the whole of the country happening. and. We're very thankful for people doing that. in a number of ways, and I have a look upon it, and it might sound strange that, yes, we're raising a profile, yes, we're, we're generating a little bit of money, but what, what I think I'm enjoying most about is people coming out and having a good time. So it might be dinners like tonight or at Newcastle. It might be people that are doing a little sponsored walk or, or a cycle, but just this kind of rugby environment, this team environment, I'm quite excited by and quite pleased that people are getting together to do that. and and have a good time in doing that because ultimately that's what life's about but yeah the web page so the trust and now the foundation is, is up for the charitable side so so are good times ahead and, and we're very appreciative for all the support that we've received so far Doddy thank you, you know, it's a pleasure and I look forward to maybe later on and we might come back to you if you're going to buy me a pint because oh, that well, would just finish uh, it off big uh, time
2: yeah I, I might do actually I might do I think I think, uh, I think you probably it probably warrants it Thank you very much. Well, I really hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation and you found out a bit more about the rugby community and Doddy Weir as a man. (music) That's all for this week's episode. Thank you very much to Ben Coles and Doddy Weir for their time. Next week, Danny Cipriani is joining me in the studio, so who knows what that will throw up. Remember... Please subscribe to the podcast because after all it's free and that way you'll never miss an episode and please leave us a review. But for now, goodbye. Brian Moore's Full Contact is just one part of the Telegraph Sport podcast family, as you can also subscribe and download Total Football. Join Tom Gibbs and a host of Telegraph football reporters as they aim to take you behind the football stories of the weekend. Your Monday morning commutes will be instantly better for it.